Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Michael Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson four years ago today, and the fallout continues. Forward Through Ferguson, the organization named by the Ferguson Commission to oversee implementation of recommendations to improve racial and social injustice conditions after the shooting, has issued a new report on how well that's going. Short answer, it could be a lot better. Joining me in studio are three top officers of Forward Through Ferguson. Inca Faliti is executive director. Karishma Hurtado is data and alignment catalyst. And David Dwight is senior strategy and partnerships catalyst. Thank you all so much for being with us. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. The, the, ink, the ink is hardly dry on your report. Uh, so, Yinka, let me start with you. Uh, as I mentioned, Wesley Bell is going to be with us a little bit later in the program. He stands for a lot of things that uh, you, you guys are talking about. Do you think that his election might have been associated with the whole Ferguson thing? Uh, I, I think that that it was. I think that uh, that his election is was on the uh, for what happened in Ferguson was on the minds of many voters. I think a lot of people in uh, in this region are, are looking for change and want things to be different than they have been. And uh, and I think the election of Wesley Bell uh, was was a clear signal and a clear message that uh, people want change. Commissioner, you see it the same way? Absolutely. I think we see the calls to action from the report embedded in his platform, and I think a lot of people will be watching to see those calls to action come to life under his leadership. Well, we have a long way to go, and we'll get into that. David, how, what do you think about this whole Absolutely, thing? and I really just want to give a shout-out to, this has been so much about the energy of the people that have really risen these issues um, and made sure that they are at the forefront of our national discussion. Um, as well as locally. And so really just want to emphasize the power of organizers on the ground who have really made sure we can't forget about these important issues. Yanka, where do we stand on implementing the recommendations of the Ferguson Commission? Well, uh, we're we're doing well in, in a few areas. So this report really focused on just the 47 signature priority areas. You know that there were 189 calls to action, but just the 47 most pressing and on those 47, on five of them, uh, we're making, uh, we've made such progress that we can say, you know what, we've, we've made some market improvement here. We've seen some good results. But on the majority of them, we're still lagging. Uh, we've still got a long way to go, particularly with respect to the justice for all calls to action. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've got many challenges in that area. We're still seeing a lot of uh, racial inequities in that area. And so that's the area we've got a, a lot more work to do. Five out of 47, David, that's, that is not a very large number, obviously. Yeah, I know that if I had received that in school, <laughs> my parents would not have been so happy. Um, so we really are excited, and, and, and like Yinka said, we, we want to um, uh, give celebration to, to those who have been invested in putting their energy, putting their resources um, behind implementing the mm -hmm. recommendations. And yet we, we do have lagging progress, and a lot of it is because of a fragmentation of our government systems across St. Louis that make it really hard to have standards across all of them. Um, a lot of leaders still haven't really fully invested in equity, so there's a lot that has to be done. Kirishma, you're, you're the data specialist, from what I understand from your title. Um, what is the data telling you about all of this? Yeah, so across the three different approaches to collecting data for this report, we kept hearing much the same thing, that 
Um, overcoming, as David said, fragmentation is a big challenge that radical collaboration, which is one of our principles of doing racial equity work, remains uh, very difficult. And that um, in the past couple of years, while we haven't necessarily seen all the calls to action being implemented, what we have been seeing is a marked improvement in many of those principles of the work. So people are getting better at radically collaborating. They're getting better at radically listening. They're understanding what racial equity is and how to apply a racial equity lens into their work. Um, And they're starting to think more in terms of systems uh, and policies as opposed to programs. And so we really consider those uh, principles of the work as being the muscles that the region needs to build in order to affect transformational change. Well, that would also reflect on what we were talking about earlier with regard to Wesley Bell. If the people, you know, are getting behind this slowly to be granted. But what about, Kika, what about government? Yeah, there's <laughs> a there's a, uh, a role for government. I, I want to lift up just a couple of things. So uh, I want people to know that uh, we have work to do here locally in this region. We absolutely have work to do. And we have work to do at the state level. Uh, even when we make progress in this region, for example, on the minimum wage, where this region voted to increase it and the state voted to to roll it back. Um, things like that uh, fly in the face of the, the Ferguson Commission uh, calls to action. Uh, we know that, that a living wage is important for people to be able to thrive and to survive mm-hmm. and to live and to do. And so that's important. Uh, with respect to a fragmented government, another example is the out-of-school suspension issue. We know that uh, St. Louis Public Schools uh, said no out-of-school suspension for preschool through second grade. We know that Maplewood and Richmond Heights said no out-of-school suspension for preschool through third grade, um, and Ladue as well in Normandy. However, that's just a few school districts. Mm-hmm. And and so this fragmentation prevents us from being able to apply these policies statewide in a way that's efficient. You've got to go district by district by district by district. That is so inefficient, and it doesn't make any sense. We've got to do better there. Um, we, we, can't have, uh, we, we can't have an, an effective – we can't have effective policies when they're not applied statewide. So we have work to do locally, but we also invite our state leadership to get involved in this work so we can see a, a difference across the entire region across the state. There hasn't been much leadership. I'm looking to uh, one of the quotes I got from the report – uh, the report calls state-level politics and policies counterproductive, and that's uh, counterproductive is a pretty strong word. Yeah, yeah I mean we've okay, okay. Oh, sorry, we've, David, go ahead. We've seen several different areas where we've uh, had regression um, on really important advancements um, that were key calls from the Ferguson Commission. Mm-hmm. So, Inca mentioned um, how minimum wage. Um, was brought back, but also on the key and really important Senate Bill 5, um, which had important recommendations that um, made it so we couldn't um, have exorbitant fines and fees from residents just to prop up small municipal governments, um, and also really did some work around um, ensuring that there weren't conflicts of interest amongst judges and prosecutors who would um, play different roles in different municipalities. But the Supreme Court um, in Missouri, actually uh, slashed some of those. So what's the strategy moving forward? Yeah, so we've really taken the approach of figuring out what we can invest in locally. 
Um, in so many sectors across the region, like Krishma mentioned, people are growing in their understanding of racial equity and wanting to implement it. And so we've really focused in for the next three years on what are the policies that we can see the most systems-wide impact on. And so one of them that we're really focusing in on is about out-of-school suspension um, and really making sure that our school environments are places where kids can thrive um, and not ones where they'll be carted um, and put on the path towards prison. Mm-hmm. And I'll quickly jump ahead, in if sure. you don't yep. uh, mind and add that one of the themes that came out of the report was that um, in a state policy environment that can seem so stubborn and intransigent, um, one approach that has shown uh, to be effective is this pipeline almost from the local level, even the programmatic local level, up towards the state policy level. So this ground softening and amassing of momentum approach that we see, for example, with school-based health centers that stopped, started with just one school-based health center in one school and is now picking up steam and growing its collaborations with state-level entities and um, state-level governmental organizations. So if if we can't jump straight to the state level right now. I think we're seeing a lot of headway in um, trying to, to get the ball rolling more locally and building up steam towards a state-level approach. Yeah, and I'll add to that. Uh, you asked what's the strategy. We, we actually, uh, just a couple months ago, released our uh, hashtag STL2039 action plan, mm-hmm. where we envision by 2039 a racially equitable St. Louis. And we identified three prongs to the strategy. One, uh, policy and systems change advocacy. Uh, The second is uh, building racial equity capacity in institutions across this region. And then three, sustaining the work. And I'm going to work backwards. Sustaining the work, it's going to take robust investment to do this work. This This took generations to, to get to where we are. Mm. And so it's going to take time to get out of this, this mess that we're in. Mm. And so it's going to take investment. It's going to take investment of funding. It's going to take investment of, of time, of resources, of leadership. And so, so that's an important part. And so one of the things we're working on is a, is a 25-year racial equity fund. If this region is serious about changing and becoming a different St. Louis uh, portraying a different vision for future generation. It, the leaders in this region must invest in racial equity work. So that's one. Uh, we respect to building racial equity capacity. So many uh, organizations, leaders, people in this region don't even know what racial equity is. And so part of our work is to help build the capacity in these organizations to help them on their own racial equity journey in their own organizations. Uh, so many of the people who live in this region work somewhere. And so one of our strategies is to actually work with employers to build racial capacity in their organizations and in nonprofits as well, in government as well, et cetera. And the first one is advocacy, policy and systems change advocacy. And this report is part of what we're is part of that advocacy, demystifying this so that people can read this, they can get it in their hands. Uh, the, the crux of this report is 13 pages. And so it's very, very readable. And it, it gives people the tools to be able to advocate for change with their leadership, uh, with their political leadership, with their with the business leadership, and in their communities. You know, we've been having this conversation for a long, long time, and you've put a 25-year uh, <laughs> cap on it now. It just seems like that's just one way of having this thing drag out without a whole heck of a lot of progress for 25 years. Well, we, we don't want to wait 25 years. Well, of and, course not. And that's why we've assessed the region three years after the commission published the report. And so we're going to be publishing a report like this periodically. 
because we have to track ourselves. Uh, if we do not track this as a region, then it won't get done. And so part of what we're accomplishing with this report, the state of the report, is to track and to measure uh, in a very quantifiable way how we are doing. And so what we, what we anticipate is that on this progress towards 2039, we're going to continue to have victory. So now we've got five of the 47 signature priorities that, are, that, are, uh, that we say are achieved and, and have shown some, some market progress. And so in another year, two years, we want to see more. We want to see more. Uh, the progress is slow. It's not fast enough. Uh, there's, a, there's an urgency to this work, and it's not fast enough. But we know it can't be done overnight. Must be a high level of frustration as well, working on it as you do 24-7 and finding that the progress is so slow, right? There's definitely frustration in it um, and always a hope that things can be more urgent. And at the same time, I think um, we've had to find excitement um, in those who who are implementing the, the calls to action from the report to see the way um, that our region has taken on racial equity. I remember uh, two, three years ago when the Ferguson Commission and for the Ferguson were talking about racial equity, we had to drag people into having this conversation. Um, we'd be the person, you know, in a meeting, in a forum, um, who's saying, are we going to talk about our deep racial uh, issues and nowadays, we see across the region, people, uh, leaders are talking about it. Um, just in this past election, um, so many candidates uh, were talking about these equity issues um, and had solutions to, to fix it. So I think we, we found excitement in that. And, right. and we saw excitement and we still celebrate it. Um, on the 7th, you know, with, with Wesley Bell's election, with Lisa Clancy's, with several of the individuals who made it into office. Mm-hmm. So. Well, there's been a lot of, I have to take a break, but there's been a lot of conversation over the years, and it still moves agonizingly slowly. Uh, it just seems to drag along. I have to take that break. Let's do that now, come back and talk more about Forward Through Ferguson and its most recent report, kind of tracking what's been going on in our community since the shooting death of Michael Brown four years ago today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back to our conversation on Forward Through Ferguson's take on issues that arose after the Michael Brown shooting. Rishman, let me come back to you uh, with regard to collecting the data. How did What was the process like? How many people did you talk to uh, in collecting this information? Sure. Across all of our approaches to collecting data, we spoke with about 90 individuals from a variety of sectors, most of them with um, organizations of, of different varieties. We contacted those individuals through surveys as well as through interviews with them. Uh, the surveys provided us with a more quantitative apples-to-apples measurement of level and extent of implementation of each of the calls to action, and the interviews built out that skeleton that the surveys provided us with really allowed us to add some meat to those bones. And, of course, we were constantly conducting um, literature scans and, and reviews, including checking the St. Louis Public Radio website every morning because you guys do a great job of um, keeping us abreast of, of relevant goings-on. Uh, so, yeah, across those three approaches and those 90 or so conversations and touches with various stakeholders. We is that, is that enough, do you think, to get a really accurate uh, picture of what's going on? No. Yeah. To, frankly, n- no. Yeah. Um, 
we can always do better, and we are always committed to, to doing better next time, to being even more comprehensive, to engaging with the community more in our data collection process. We've had several discussions around um, how we will improve our approach moving forward. And at the same time, we know that we can't allow the perfect to become the enemy of the good, that our region needs to act. It needs to act quickly. We have to be urgent about our work here and that we can't allow ourselves to sit back and say we're going to just wait until we have collected more data. Um, Better data is a critical pursuit, um, but it can't be used as justification for inaction. We've got a lot of data out there. We've got our report. We've got the report from For the Sake of All, now Health Equity Works, and several others. Um, it's, it's time to move. I, I just wanted to go to the For the Sake of All report because, Yankee, you mentioned that early on. And, and one of the, the basic issue that they were dealing with was with health matters and how that impacts what's going on. Um, Give me some sense of what you're learning about that and, and how are we doing in the area of providing health care to those people who need it uh, the most? Well, Don, we've, we've got a, a long way to, to go yeah. there. Uh, we know that uh, one of the, the good things about that report is it helped us to visualize health disparities by zip code. Mm-hmm. And we know that in this region, we have a 30-year, three-decade difference in, in life between the folks who live in one zip code and another. And that's just unacceptable. Uh, so we've got a long, long way to go with respect uh, to health. And, and health is not only about health per se, but it, it affects other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many second and third and fourth order ramifications mm-hmm. of, of people not being able to get access to health care, get adequate health care, get quality health care, uh, and all the social determinants of health uh, that we now know are just as important as, as, you know, as anything else. So... Uh, so we've got a long way to go there as well, Don. You, you mentioned a 30-year disparity in, in life expectancy. As I recall, for, sake of all, for the sake of all report, it was an 18-year disparity in adjacent zip codes. Has that gone up that much over a short period of time? I think those no- so in the for the sake of all report, I think the number was 18 years. Yeah. I think when the, the county uh, replicated the analysis and extended it even further, um, they were able to document that even larger zip, um, disparity. I think it's between Wildwood, Wildwood and Kinlock, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So if you, the, yeah. the more you look, the more you find. So um, it certainly hasn't gotten better. It's just astonishing to think that there's that kind of a difference. David, let me go to you with regard to the current mood. Obviously, you're you're getting public input. This is a highly polarized country, not only this community, but this country, and it seems to be getting worse. I mean, if we look at the political dynamic, uh, I'm I'm wondering how that is playing right now in terms of people's attitudes. Do you have any sense of that? Yeah, I think we've definitely seen reverberations of what's happened nationally um, play out here in St. Louis. And there's also ways that that St. Louis, if we look across our history, we've been some of the originators and innovators for a lot of racist policies and practices Mm -hmm. um, that have then expanded up nationally. Um, And so St. Louis is definitely not a stranger to these difficult conversations. Um, So we definitely do see that that play out. But we really emphasize that racial equity is not an issue that is only for one party to Mm -hmm. address. Um, this is something that every single one of us in this region has to be thinking about because the health of our region depends on it, not to mention um, the lives of people of color who are directly affected by, by racism. Yankee, yeah, do you have any, any thoughts about that with regard to the national, uh, national mood and how that impacts us here? Well, I, I think uh, we see all across this country uh, uh, daily 
anecdotes of inequity. Yeah. Uh, we saw it in Philadelphia at the Starbucks. Uh, we see it with, uh, I mean, the, the names are endless, Philando Castile and Tamir Rice and uh, Eric Garner and mm-hmm. on and on and on. And it seems almost uh, weekly th- there's a new one that, mm-hmm. that, makes, that makes news in this country. So what we're doing here in St. Louis, uh, when we achieve even more than five, when we get to 10 and to 15 and to 20 and we hit all 47 and then we expand out and we get to 53 and 75 and then we hit all 189 calls to action, when we do that, and we can't do that, mm-hmm. we can do that, but when we do that, then we will see this country take St. Louis as a model. As David said, this region has been the innovator of racist policies. Mm-hmm. And in the very same way, we can be the innovator of equitable policies and systems change. So so we're hopeful that, that things can change, and we're hopeful that St. Louis can be a beacon for the rest of this country. Is this reflected in any of your data, Karishma? I think all the people that we speak to do the work that they do because they're they're optimistic and they mm-hmm. see the same potential for St. Louis to be a role model for the rest of the country. And it's because if when that is true, it'll be because of the work of those individuals. We have some people who uh, want to get into the conversation. We'll take a couple of calls as time allows. I'd like to start with Tom, who's calling from Afton. Tom, thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Thank you, Don. Uh, I've noticed in these uh, discussions about post-Ferguson, we start out with the killing of Mike Brown, and then we're talking about racial inequality and black poverty, and those issues are obviously very important. But if you look at it one way, what you see is that we went from uh, talking about Mike Brown being killed to how can we change black people. And I think the one thing that's getting lost is how can we change the police? Uh, I read Darren Wilson's testimony, and one of the questions that he asked the interviewers was, uh, aren't you going to ask me why I shot him when I didn't need to? And uh, I know it's politically difficult uh, to pursue police reform. It's it's, uh, politically difficult, but I'm not hearing, is the only thing we can do to stop the police from killing unarmed black men to get out on the highway? Isn't there anything else? Let's uh, let's see if we can get a response to that. David, would you like to... Yeah, I think you uh, make important points. Um, And activism is absolutely an important piece of the strategy. And we wouldn't be having this conversation here today if not for all those young people who went out on the streets um, in Ferguson and and in St. Louis and in the nation um, to protest these issues. Um, But this is not just a case of bad apples. Um, That's too easy of an answer. Uh, This is really about systems and the fact that our policies, our behaviors, our practices um, mean that this is going to be our reality, um, that we will continue to see these uh, incidents with law enforcement, that we will continue to see these huge uh, life expectancy gaps, um, that we will continue to have huge um, differences in employment rates, in graduation. I mean, it's only if we change policies um, that we can actually impact uh, people's lives and, and these outcomes. So. Um, police reform is absolutely important, but it is a, an area that has, that we found through this report has experienced the least amount of implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is core, and unless we are able to change policies, practices, and how resources are allocated in a way that's more racially equitable, we're never going to see this new reality we want. Let's take another call. Harvey will join us from Chesterfield. Go ahead, Harvey. Thank you. 
taking my call. Before I ask my question, I just want to point out that some of the uh, health disparities in how long people live are uh, documented now as being because of the uh, radi radiation exposure from uh, Coldwater Creek from the nuclear waste that was illegally dumped in there. Um, so just just want to let you guys know that you know, if you haven't looked into that, uh, there is a report from the federal government now. Um, my question. Um, uh, what's happening in Pine Lawn? I know Ferguson's under all kinds of court orders, but Pine Lawn was one of the uh, most abusive in the court system uh, in terms of uh, uh, motorist tickets and things like that. What, what's going on there? Who would like to take that one? Yanka, was that something you can address? Um, I, I know that uh, I'm, I'm aware of, of what the caller is speaking of with respect to, to Pine Lawn. I believe there was uh, some litigation uh, recently that was led in part, uh, I believe... Arch City Defenders. Arch City Defenders, and I believe uh, the law firm of Brian Cave, Leighton Paisner, was, mm -hmm. was also part of that. And I believe they were able to uh, to actually get some wins uh, uh, in Pine Lawn to change some policies that were oppressive to the local residents there. And the caller yeah. makes a really good point about this being beyond Ferguson. Mm -hmm. The Ferguson Commission very quick and, and early on uh, named that this is not a Ferguson problem. This is a St. Louis region mm -hmm. problem. Um, and so our focus as an organization, um, of course, is honoring Ferguson and, and that that was the uh, spark um, for this discussion regionally. Um, but we can't uh, let the rest of the region off the hook. Uh, there's much work to be done. And that was actually borne out in the data as well, that some of the very Ferguson-specific response that we saw in the wake of the death of Michael Brown Jr. has um, diminished and died down. And we see that as a natural sort of evolution of this, as the, the singular crisis that brought our attention to the, these um, issues was quickly found to be the case across the region, not just in Ferguson. And so the attention might have died down in that instant, but we're seeing it um, really seeping into the, the ground and into the DNA of the region. And, being, and, and if I may, I just want to quickly correct, uh, it was Pagedale that, oh. uh, that Brian Cave uh, was involved in, Brian Cave, Leighton Paisner was involved mm -hmm. in getting some, some wins in a consent decree by federal court. Very similar situations, though, in those two communities. They're, they're almost mere. I'm going to take one more call. We can talk all we want about government, about other institutions getting involved. But Ron, who is in Ferguson, uh, is going to bring up another issue that's an important part of it, I believe. Go ahead, Ron. Well, the thing I wanted to say is that uh, family structure is the most important thing for keeping people, uh, kids out of the prison, the, out of the pipeline, regardless of what race or gender you are. The prison, the pipeline starts at home. So if people do a better job of raising their children, they wouldn't end up in the system. And also, we have to have some form of discipline in these schools, because what I see is that in the low-income schools, they pretty much let kids run rampant, and then they wonder why the ones that really want to learn can't learn. And then the people that complain the most about it live in school districts where there are very little discipline problems, and they have lots of resources. I, regardless of my income, I don't want my child or grandchildren going to any school where there's violence and bullying and there's no uh, consequences to the individuals uh, portraying that. And I've been working with young people for 25 years in the STEM fields, and the biggest indicator of success is good parenting. Right. Ron, thank you for the call. I'll go quickly around the table. And uh, he makes a point, doesn't he, Dave? So I think it's, 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 it's really uh, easy when we have these really uh, difficult issues to, to jump to the first thing that we think of. And we hear family structure a lot. It, was, uh, it came up a lot during the Ferguson Commission. 
um, and, and discipline and, and law and order. But we've really found that those are only surface-level interventions. Um, there's some great research from Raj Chetty uh, mm-hmm. nationally who has investigated that same issue of if it's family structure that leads to um, kids who, who aren't performing as well or have negative he- health impacts. And actually, it's not. It's so many other things in the environment that affect it. It's whether they have a quality school that they can go to nearby, whether they live in a food desert and have access to healthy foods. Um, whether there's adequate transportation to get to a job and to have access to good employment, those are the factors that really drive this more. And it doesn't help to just blame it on family structure or to say we need to punish the kids more. Actually, those kids uh, need an environment where they can thrive. And when you're deprived of those things, I mean, anyone would act out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, our time is winding down. Yink, I'll, I'll go to you for this last uh, uh, comment, and that is I understand you're going to be having a series of public events to gather even more information uh, and take this out into the community and get that kind of input. What's what's going on there? That's right. So our first of three community town halls will be September 6th at the Vanita Park uh, Indian Trails Library, and so we encourage people in the community to come out to to engage more deeply with this report and learn about more of, of what they can do. Uh, we encourage people to read this report, read our S- hashtag STL2039 action plan that lays out how we will uh, achieve a, a racially equitable St. Louis by 2039. And we encourage people to to get involved and to hold their leaders accountable. All right. Do you have a final thought that, Krishma, you'd like to leave us with? I'm looking forward to gearing up the data collection machine to do uh, – <laughs> the state of the report 2.0, and I hope we'll have made even more progress towards right. this 47. I want to thank you all for being with us today and bringing us up to speed on what you've, uh, you've been doing. Thanks to Yinka Fallaty, Karishma Furtado, and David Dwight of Forward Through Ferguson. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.